back to Girl Mode. This is episode 16. I am one of your hosts, Willa Rowe. And I'm your other host, Robin B. So Robin, a uh, very important update for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we last left off, I had introduced you to Flacco, the Eurasian eagle owl. You had. The escaped convict from the Central Park Zoo. <laughs> the heroic owl on, currently on the loose in, in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. And so... One of the things that I had said that people are worried about is that, you know, Flacco has been in captivity for like a decade or well, his 13, 13 years in captivity. So people were very worried that he wasn't going to be able to like survive on his own because he wouldn't know how to hunt. As of two days ago, we have pictures of him with a successful, uh, a successful hunt. He caught an animal on his own. He hunted. He is surviving. He is thriving. <laughs> He's uh, moisturized. He's yeah, in his lane. We love to see it. Um, he also, they tried to capture him at one point and he <laughs> <laughs> escaped. But like now that he's like feeding himself, this is good news. We do. We're very happy for Flacco. Yeah, we're very proud of our our heroic escaped owl you sent me you sent me the this tweet yesterday when it happened or whenever it was that it happened uh and it was a very dramatic photo <laughs> flacco caught a rat which i'm not the most pleased with uh because i think <laughs> rats are beautiful and perfect creatures and should never be harmed uh and in this photo the like I recommend not looking it up if, if this is like going to be an upsetting thing for you but the, the rat is like dramatically posed with like in his claws uh, in a very uh, a very upsetting way, but nonetheless, uh, you know, circle of life and all that. Uh, I am glad that this owl has has you know figured out how to survive outside of the confines of the zoo. Mm-hmm. He's an inspiration to us all. Yeah, and then uh, just to like really front load with good stuff, uh, you also <laughs> shared with me that February eighteenth, near Automata version one point one a is coming back. Yes, which is also great news. Uh, as far as I know, no rats were harmed in the making, uh, which is also great. <laughs> but yeah, as I, as I said, like this was the one show that I was actually eager to finish watching. Uh, and now I hopefully can, unless there's another COVID scare at the studio. So mm-hmm. very excited for that. Okay, so uh, now that we really just like front loaded with the good stuff. <sighs> um, I mean, let's get into it. Let's get so... into it. This is the week that Hogwarts Legacy released. Uh, I mean, for us, like as games journalists and then as two trans women and games journalists, like this is like we've talked about this a lot, like Mm -hmm. not on the podcast. And it's just like it's something that I do want to talk about and discuss the, the game and like the response to the game and everything around it yeah i mean it is it is something we've talked about a lot as i imagine probably like every trans person in this space or who has like any relation to games has been i guess it 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 almost kind of goes without saying we're going to be discussing like some transphobia i don't know that we're going to get like super into detail on like jk rowling's extremely noxious like the exact the exact content of what she's been saying so Mm -hmm. you know that's probably not going to be a part of it but just just throwing it out there, like there will like necessarily be, we'll be talking about or around transphobia a lot in uh, in our discussion. Yeah, this will be a bit of a downer, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, oh, next two man. in a row, we'll have to really uh, end February on a strong note. So I think 
the best place to start, at least like talking about this, is I kind of wanted to start with reviews and like the reviews that dropped when the embargo happened. Yeah. So by the best place to start, you mean the worst place to start? I I mean, I think every place is a bad place to start <laughs> sure. with this, frankly, but it's as good a place as any. So yeah, the Monday, Monday the 6th, um, the embargo lifted on reviews for the game. And something that was not quite surprising to me, but disappointing was how much praise it was getting. Yeah, I will say I I, I was quite surprised. We took this as one of the things we talked about. Like we we both kind of expected that it would be, get good reviews, and that the all the stuff we're about to talk about was going to be completely glossed over. But even going in with that mindset, I was still pretty shocked at just like how like effusive the praise was for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think specifically, like one of the flashpoints of like the review debacle kind of was IGN's review. Mm -hmm. I think it's also important to note that like IGN was one of the only like higher profile sites that had a review on when like when the embargo lifted, which read into that what you will. (laughs) The Uh, the Metacritic was very strange on release day. It was like a lot of sites I'd never heard of. And then Mm -hmm. IGN. Yeah. So this is a review by Travis Northup. Uh, He wrote it for IGN. And to get down to it, he gave it a nine out of 10. And like the, the, the little like deck for the review is in almost every way, this is the Harry Potter RPG I've always wanted to play. And the, the strange thing about this in context of the score is that you would think that it would be a glowing review, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's shockingly, but it's shockingly like there's a lot of critique in here that like rather than critique, I'd say there's a lot of pointing out that like there are technical issues or that the gameplay is like fine, but not interesting or that um plot points are really like one note and like he literally says like you'll roll your eyes basically he just is like you'll roll your eyes during moments when you're introduced to 100 years worth of dead characters lecturing you there's so many quotes in here that seem like they would point to a not glowing review but then at the end of the day it basically is just like but i've always liked harry potter so i just kind of like it nine out of ten <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's the sort of staggering thing about it is there's, I, I literally don't know if there's a single positive thing, like a, you know, a, a thing that he liked at all in this review that doesn't have some incredible caveat to it. Like, mm-hmm. talk about how much he likes the combat and then say, like, oh, but it's actually kind of boring and there's only like two enemies. Oh, but getting to like ex- explore this story in, in the Harry Potter world was so great. Oh, but the story wasn't actually also very good. Oh, and, and, you know, I just loved living, you know, being immersed in this idea of living at, at Hogwarts. Oh, but sometimes I fell through the floor and it's like for f- every positive point is basically like pointing out a negative and then just choosing to ignore it, which is, yeah, which think- is very strange. I think one of the strangest parts of it is um, specifically on the performance. He (laughs) writes, quote, that immersion can occasionally be broken by Legacy's dicey performance, though, which suffered from just about every issue that makes IGN's performance review team cry during my time playing on PlayStation 5, end quote. 
<laughs> it's just wild. It is one of the most baffling pieces I've ever read in that regard, mm-hmm. where the, the text just does not support the conclusion that it draws. Mm-hmm. And I think so. One of the things that people really like were incredibly critical of was something that isn't even technically part of the review. It's the little like aside that they have mm-hmm. that's just thrown right in the middle titled Concerning J.K. Rowling. It's two paragraphs. It says, The elephant in the room with Hogwarts Legacy is Harry Potter's creator, J.K. Rowling, whose comments about transgender people in recent years have left a sour taste in the mouths of many current and former Potter fans, both at IGN and in the world at large. But the start of the second paragraph is where I think a lot of people like really jumped on this. Mm -hmm. And it's, As critics, our job is to answer the question of whether or not we find Hogwarts Legacy to be fun to play and why. Whether it's ethical to play is a separate but still very important question. So just as in virtually all cases, we're choosing to expose and address the views of the franchise creator separately from our consideration of the work of the hundreds of game developers and evaluate Hogwarts Legacy as it stands. My blood pressure just rose so high as you read that fucking paragraph. Mm-hmm. It, it, um, uh, what are your thoughts on that? It's it's hard to pick out my individual thoughts in the like absolute like fight or flight response that that entire statement triggers in my body. I mean, okay, so the Jesus Christ, the first line of this, uh, as critics, the job is to answer the question of da 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 whether it's fun to play or not. That follows from a uh, a piece that IGN put out, like I think the week before, talking about like what kind of the the publication itself, its standard for reviews, uh, and why so many games tend to be. Uh, reviewed so highly, like a seven is almost sort of a baseline assumption for nearly any game. And this seems to be sort of uh, an accessory to that piece, uh, which which itself is very strange and has come under a lot of like warranted scrutiny. But the idea that like the job of a critic is to tell you whether or not a game is fun to play is a fundamentally baffling concept. Of course, it's like your experience of playing the game is is what you're describing. So if you had fun playing it, you should tell us that. But the idea that that is the kind of the only axis on which you can criticize a video game is just incomprehensible to me. Specifically when you say whether or not it's ethical is a separate or is issue. And it's that's just simply not the case. Like the idea that you can separate the material impacts of of you having played this game from whether or not you should play it is is just it's that's a non sequitur of course you should take into consideration whether doing this thing for fun is going to hurt people that is a part of criticism yeah it's like i mean for me i think there's like no other way to say it that this is like an immense failing of of criticism yes and like games journalism it's it's absurd (laughs) and it's so reductive and it's it also feels really like it feels like they're trying to get away from the issue that they know everybody's going to be like shouting at yes, them. They're absolutely covering their ass. And it's like this is even separate from like Hogwarts Legacy. This is like my biggest gripe with the industry kind of at large. Um I wrote about it uh, for Start Menu at the end of the year last year. But um there's this idea that games are still a toy more than they are art and that a good game is a fun game. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the criteria of a review is to tell you if it's fun or not, which is what IGN is talking about. And it's so, so fucking reductive of the industry at large, of games at large, and of the job of criticism in games at large. I don't know. It's just like, how are we, how are we setting the, like our expectations back like 20 years just so that we can enjoy this game, this one game? Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I, when I read that statement, I can't help but think of like the writers who I like and who are doing good work at IGN and how it must, how hard it must be to read something like that. And to hear like this is the official position of your publication, like it's it's essentially devaluing the work that you're doing as a critic. It just it just seems harsh. And you're right, yeah. It's like it's absolutely reducing games to a a product, right? It's this. Mm-hmm. It's as if you can review games the same way that you would review like uh, a laptop, right? Like if it's functional uh, and it you know suits your needs, then it's good, which is just not the case. Like there are other considerations. There are. It's as critiquing any piece of art requires some kind of cultural context, whether or not that's a focus of your review. I think it doesn't always have to be, but I think in this case, it absolutely has to be because it is so much like this game is not this game so much, not even, not even like as far as I know, the content of this game, but the existence of this game and the conditions under which it was created and the people who are uh, specifically the person, J.K. Rowling, who is going to be supported by it, the impact of that culturally is is so much more important than the technical issues or the problems you have with a story uh, where it, it really should be a major point of any review. Like, this is a pretty singular case. The only piece that I really saw go up on Monday when embargoes lifted was a piece by Persephone Ranson on Games Hub. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was a piece titled Hogwarts Legacy Does Not Deserve to, re- to Be Reviewed on Its Own Merits. And there's a great line in it where I think it's like the perfect opposition to IGN. Hogwarts Legacy cannot and should not be judged solely on its own merits because the end result of supporting this game financially and socially isn't simply a matter of how much you'll enjoy it or how nostalgic it might be to experience the world of Harry Potter. If you purchase this game, if you praise its qualities and encourage others to, quote, support the developers or, quote, treat yourself to a guilty pleasure, you are making a choice that will harm the transgender community whether you want to admit it or not. I mean, yeah, that's like nothing to add to that. <laughs> like it is, yeah. that is exactly correct. Um, this mm-hmm. is like what I consider to be the one good piece that was written about the game, at least that came out like in that initial rush of of reviews. It's It specifically breaks down like, like the very next part of this piece is s- saying exactly why it's such a bad thing, like pointing out that you are financially... Uh, supporting Jacob Rowling, as well as giving her kind of the social currency uh, that allows her to continue her weird crusade against trans people. It's a great piece that like tackles precisely with those things that the IGN piece wants to pretend don't exist. Yeah, I don't. I, I just I don't even know what else to say about it. like it. Just you should just read the piece because mm-hmm. it like it, it makes the exact case that so many people have been trying to get people to listen to like since this game was announced that like. On some level, it doesn't matter if the game or not, not even on some level, like on a, on a really fundamental level, it doesn't matter if the game is good or not, because supporting it is supporting transphobia materially and in uh, like getting the message out there. You know, it's there's just 
simply is no way around it, even though people want to pretend that there is and pretend that you can put it in a little pull aside. It's just it is just an intrinsic part of the game is it's it's support for a and funding a campaign of transphobia. And then like since embargo lifted, I think the other important like piece that has come out is Wired reviewed the game. This was a writer, Jaina Gray, who wrote the review. And the the interesting thing is uh, Wired gave it a one out of 10. Mm-hmm. And basically, like the whole point is that this is a counterpoint to IGN about like criticism as is something fun or not. This Wired review is essentially a piece kind of expanding on the same things that the Games Hub piece talks about, where it's like, what does it mean to like play this game and platform this game? And what does it mean for the industry to continue covering it and praising it in the context of the harm of the creator? And like, obviously it was like a lot of people are calling it like review bombing, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a really weird use of the phrase. Yes. Um, it's because like, and uh, this isn't surprising, like there's nothing you can do about it, but it's like people see the nine out of 10 from IGN and they decide, even though these are a bunch of people who like usually hate games journalists and are like gamer gators and like these fucking people. And they're like, well, don't you know IGN's actually good? They gave it a nine out of 10. That's good journalism. They know what they're talking about. That's a that's an honest review. And then with Wired, they're like one out of 10. This is review bombing. Like you're a piece of shit for writing this, like, which I feel like as someone who has like written about this game before is like not not surprising to see people say to some to writers who are like trying to actually talk about the game in the context of its you know creator and the world that we live in. Yeah, I mean you can't offer any criticism of this game without being piled on by like mm-hmm. the absolute worst people on Twitter, which, you know, one would hope would be enough to make sites like IGN kind of wary about who they're siding with, you know, because like if you look at the comments of the IGN piece or like the replies on Twitter, it is really the dregs. Like it is absolute like bare transphobia just being shilled in in the replies. And I think that's something you do have to take into consideration. Like, is the message you're sending going to empower people to hurt others? What I think is interesting here is people calling this out for review bombing because it doesn't engage with the things that people expect a review to engage with. Like it touches on, you know, it says there's like a little passage there where it talks about like, yeah, the game is like kind of busted as fuck and uh, not very fun to play in the first place. Uh, But most of the review is, is spent talking about the things we've been talking about, the cultural context, the actual material harms that uh, you're doing by supporting it. And people are angry that it it doesn't focus on mechanics and graphics the whole time. That's, that is a huge problem to people. But for some reason, not for some reason, for very obvious reasons, when a piece like IGN only touches on those very surface level things and doesn't at all engage with the cultural context and the meaning of the work, that's considered okay. Like there are some things that you're allowed to skip over uh, in a review and still be considered, you know, quote unquote, a good journalist by these people. But if the things that you are skipping over are like, is it fun? Somehow that's like out of bounds, which is it's just nonsense. Like it's something that's annoyed me about, you know, game reviews for a long time is that like if you want to focus even in like a non uh, a completely uncontroversial 
example. Like if we take the the kind of legacy of Harry Potter and the transphobia around it out of like out of the conversation, if you were to take a completely anodyne game and only talk about the story, you know, rate it just based on the story and not the gameplay, people would also freak out because mm-hmm. they they just they want it to be about this. I don't know. There's just this deranged idea that people want they they want this this imaginary idea of objective game reviews, which is a, a contradiction in terms. Obviously, a thing that doesn't make any sense. And when put into context like this, they're not just saying, "Well, you're skipping over the important parts for the parts that I don't find important." They're saying, "You should be skipping over the parts that make me feel bad. Like you shouldn't be engaging with these things that make me have to consider my own." Uh, ethical obligations. That's that's like the one unforgivable thing for people when you're doing criticism of games. So there's something that I think is interesting also is that there's there's like two sides of this like culture war now because that's also what this game is. Yes. Like if you've like spent any time like looking at pieces about this game and reading like reactions to pieces, it's not about people who are Harry Potter fans being like, but I like Harry Potter and I just want to like enjoy the world. It's literally just become a culture war. It's about people taking this to mean that if it succeeds, then they're justified in like their extreme transphobia and like turfism. And that it's like proof that yes, trans people shouldn't exist. Like that's what this is about. It's not really about the game anymore, even for those people. Uh, They're like, they're using a nine out of 10 IGN review to like support their beliefs. And the other side of it is that there are, you know, other sites who are like choosing not to cover it. And I think this is a really interesting conversation because it's, there's kind of a, uh, a like take the high road kind of mentality where it's like, well, if I am like a good person, the right thing to do is to not engage. It's to not cover it, to not give it more of a platform. So there are places who have openly said like the gamers is one, for example, and they have said, you know, we're not going to write a review about Hogwarts legacy. We're not going to do guides for Hogwarts legacy, which like for a game site is a big deal. Cause that's mm-hmm. like, that's that's your revenue right there. And I've like really struggled with this a lot lately because like I I do respect people who are like I don't want to platform this game, but for me as a critic, as a trans critic with a platform and the ability to do something, it's like I don't want to stand here and have the only voices or the majority of voices talking about this be by and large like cis men in a room talking about it and praising it and giving it nine out of tens and saying like, well, I like Harry Harry Potter. So this game is good to me. I think there needs to be a critical, like there needs to be the critical other side to be able to like launch back, which is why I really like the games hub piece. I really like the wired piece. Um, and I mean, like, for like transparency, because like I am I am playing the game. I am reviewing the game because I for me, it's something that I feel like I needed to do. I I needed to have my voice there. Like, I don't think it's not something I think like every person needs to do, especially in the trans community, because like we we <laughs> we're suffering enough. We don't need to like put ourselves in the line of fire any more than we are. But like part of for me my mission as like a games critic is like i'm like you know well this is kind of my job 
I am choosing to do that. That's, that is why I have this job. It's because I do want to be able to like put my voice in that conversation. So it's like, frankly, it's like, I think, I think what everybody who, (laughs) who's on the other side wants is for people like me to shut up. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to give anybody that pleasure. I'm just going to go down kicking and screaming. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're, you're right. It is a, a really complex thing to grapple with. There is, I, I definitely understand the position of let's not talk about it because yeah, like, like you said, you don't want to platform the game. You don't want to give it more attention because even the kind of, you know, the negative attention and the critiques that uh, someone might give it are still just sort of like in a weird backwards way, like adding ammunition to the people who are fighting against it. Right. Uh, so they're able to say, uh, well, this this nine out of ten review from IGN is fair, unlike these ones of of trans people just being totally unreasonable and you know scoring it poorly, just because it empowers a powerful bigot who's on an exterminationist campaign against them. How unreasonable! But also, it is it's a difficult thing to grapple with. You know, it's it's a thing that is like, yeah, you should we shouldn't be expected to have to be the only people standing up for ourselves. You know, uh, that's a lot of weight to put on us to be like. Yes, you have to live in a world that's like literally like in the process of legislating you out of existence or attempting to. And also you need to be defending yourself against these transphobes who are using this game as a rallying cry. And you need to put up your own cogent defense of why people shouldn't be playing this game or of explaining its problems. That's just that's a lot of work that, that people are expected to do just because this game that we didn't want to exist in the first place was kind of like thrown in our face, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a whole thing about like the idea of objectivity and it's like something I've always dealt with as a journalist. Like, you know, there's an impression that journalists should be objective. And like as an arts critic, part of me is like, well, I can get away with not being objective because the whole point of criticism is that you are writing from the perspective of a single person. Criticism is a subjective form of writing. Like that is (laughs) that is true. But people don't want to believe that. Mm -hmm. And um, there's something that I always think about about the the state of of journalism and how journalism has always happened, including criticism. Is that objectivity typically just means as close to a heterosexual cis white man as you can get? Yes, because it's the idea that objectivity is the most baseline, middle-of-the-road, normal opinion, well, that's going to be a cis cis straight Mm -hmm. white guy. But that is not actually objective. Everybody has subjectivity just like the others and biases and, you know, opinions on life that are formed by how they move about it. But we've just been, like, conditioned to believe that, no, that is the correct opinion. So anything outside of that, the more more you go, it's it's like Audre Lorde called it the, the... the like cultural nor social norm or something. And it's like every step further you get, the like the the more weird you are, the more marginalized you are seen. And the more marginalized you are, the more subjective you are seen as. So that's why like in journalism, it's sometimes seen as a taboo if like a marginalized person covers their own community. Cause it's like, well obviously they're biased. Right. And it's like well, <laughs> which is, yeah, ties into a lot of deeper biased. things like the assumption yeah. that cis people don't have gender and that white people don't have race, et cetera, et cetera. These ideas that like it is only uh, deviation from the norm that is, you know, subject to those kind of those kinds of pressures and has like an in-group to be protecting. But yeah, you're right. This this search for object objectivity is in many ways just an appeal to power uh, and an appeal to the status quo. It's the reason you also see in a lot of like 
police reporting. Uh, people assume the police to be telling the truth, uh, and they're not as likely to say they're they're writing a story about the police, you know, launching some initiative on sex workers. They're not tempted to go talk to a bunch of sex workers to get the other side of the story. But if there were a piece that involved, you know, the, nece- the necessity of talking to sex workers for it, they would then go and get the police opinion uh, mm-hmm. because they are kind of the you know the dominant social force. Uh, it's it's you know something we see a lot with pieces about us, you know, pieces about trans people. If in the extremely rare occasion that they aren't just hit pieces, if they're talking about a piece that is like, you know, marginally less <laughs> anti-trans than the general public, they will go and then talk to like Genspect or some other like demonic association that's that's devoted entirely to transphobia uh, because we are not the norm. So whenever we speak, we need to be balanced out by a quote unquote moderate voice, which is to say an extremist on the opposite side. So it's yeah, I mean, like it's it's those lines are very clear when it's when it's reporting. But when it's criticism, it's like, what is even the aim there? Like how how would you even go about objectivity? Uh, it's It's the same way that it's the way that like I said earlier, like people want game reviews to be the same as laptop reviews. That's a thing you can tell me if it works or not, which you can't say about a game. Uh, there's there's more at play than whether it's functional, and that that is the subjective part. That is your experience, and you you just you simply can't present your own experience without being subjective. I think for me, one of the most tiring parts of this whole situation and with Hogwarts Legacy and its response is that. It's like twofold. And I'm like interested to see if you feel the way, same way. Cause like, as we, as like, you know, as our whole podcast is formed around, <laughs> we are games journalists who are both trans. So it's like, we have these two things that mm-hmm. like form our, our opinions. Um, but it's like, I'm, I'm incredibly disappointed at the games media at large right now, just like as a critic and a trans woman, mm-hmm. it's, and I said I wasn't surprised, and I, I really wasn't, because this is like the worst case scenario that I always thought would happen, that this would just get so much praise. But it's like, so many places have kind of like refused to engage with it, the issues. Mm-hmm. And something I see all the time is like, um, and I've said it too, is it's like, the fear for me is that the biggest issue with Hogwarts Legacy is that it is proof that... The second trans people asked anybody to just do the most basic thing to show that they care about our existence and our safety, they immediately did not show up and they like bent over backwards to find excuses. Mm -hmm. And they kept telling trans people that like we are actually the problem. And it's like, what am I supposed to fucking do with that? Yeah. I, I mean, how do you feel? No, yeah, I mean, it, like exactly, it's the same way. Like it, it's a, it's a lot um, that like so few of our peers are willing to even hear the argument out, or they'll you know pay lip service to it and say, oh, of, of course I don't support J.K. Rowling. I, I her views are horrible, but uh, you know I need to forget that she holds those views and that this is materially benefiting her and spreading those views to do this review accurately, which is like something I disagree with as as a journalist and something that I find offensive as a trans person. I saw a tweet earlier and, and I can't remember who made it or like the exact, you know, wording of it, but it was essentially saying like this was never about like this 
fucking game. Like, what this is, is a sign that cis allies are willing to abandon us at the absolute first sign of inconvenience, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, this game is not important, but what is important is the fact that so few people were willing to engage with the way that it hurts us, the way that it, it, it empowers people whose seemingly only joy in life comes from hurting us. And that's, I, I don't know how to take that, you know, like, mm -hmm. how do you, how do you go on and like continue doing this work, like side by side with people who think that your, like your mental health and your, your safety and your very existence is less important than not pissing off, you know, Warner Brothers Interactive. It's, um, that's the part that is so disappointing and, um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. End of the day, like I don't care what you, what score you give to a game. I don't like like that doesn't affect me. But if that score empowers people to like continue fighting against my right to exist, like, and like you said, like the second we even say something like that, the second we even acknowledge that that's what's happening, we become radicals and extremists and mm -hmm. you know a hysterical mob. Which is, I you know, I think those are all fine things to be, but using that to discredit people because our lives are on the line here, not because of this video game, but because of the the kinds of people who believe the things that JK Rowling is saying and have the power to actually enact their will on us. Like this stuff all comes at a time when it's like cis people genuinely, like no matter how engaged you are and like how much of an ally you think you are, you have absolutely no idea what every fucking trans person is going through right now like i don't know anyone who is trans who isn't spending who hasn't spent like the past like weeks and months watching state house hearings in states they don't even live in just to mm -hmm. see which parts of the country are no longer safe for them to drive through you know like yeah that is the context that is important here like just if not how much you loved Harry Potter as a child. That's fine. No one's going to tell you that you are like retroactively not allowed to have liked this thing when you were a kid. That's fine. No one can take those fucking memories away from you, but you're an adult now and you have to deal with the fact that your actions have consequences and that there are other people living in the world who are who are going to be affected by those things, you know, in, in a real way, in a way that is about more than just like whether or not you have fun with a fucking video game. It's about whether or not we can continue to like get medical treatment anymore. I, I don't know. I, that sounds like hyperbole, I guess, to like connect those two things, but they're very clearly connected. When you culturally empower like a bigot with a massive platform who has directly said that she views this game's success as an endorsement of her own views and that she's going to use the money she makes from it to continue campaigning against us existing, I mean, how can you how can you even pretend that this isn't important anymore? It's it's just like it's really hard. And like I we've mentioned her before, but I'm just going to shout her out again. Like Aaron Reed is doing mm -hmm. incredible work about like you know cataloging all of this and like continually updating people about all the anti-trans legislation and like. It feels so fucking annoying, but it's like, obviously, I don't have to tell any trans people about Erin Reed because, like, <laughs> we all fucking know her and we follow her because we're keeping up. But, like, other people uh, need to fucking at least pay attention. But 
it's like, it's really fucking annoying. And it's like, it's, it is a thing that you've talked about. And like, I know, I know we're, we're a fucking gaming podcast. So what the fuck do we know? But it's like, it's really hard because it's like, I like, this is just like my existence right now where it's like in two ish weeks, I am going to a wedding for a, um, a family friend and that wedding is in Florida. <laughs> and <sighs> I legitimately like, really didn't want to go yeah. because I legitimately don't know how it's going to be like being there. I'm not going to feel safe. And it's like nobody who I'm like seeing at that wedding is like, as far as I know, everybody on the invite list is uh, not gay and <laughs> definitely not trans. And like I was talking to my family and nobody understands and nobody even yeah. thinks to consider these things. It's like, this is fucking real for us. Yeah. And this does matter. It's, I don't. Yeah. Um, I think you saying think, no one even thinks, no one even knows that they should be thinking about those things is mm -hmm. exactly right. That's mm -hmm. why like people, you know, we look like we're making such a big deal out of this because for everyone else looking from the outside, this is coming out of nowhere. This is just suddenly uh, all these trans people are getting so upset about this game. And it's like, mm -hmm. no, we're getting upset about like the past year of our lives, watching people debate whether we deserve to exist anymore. And this is just like the latest step in, in that progression. Mm -hmm. so one of the things that I'm constantly seeing right now that's also like I'm dealing with and going through and it's really hard is like I am seeing. So the game space, like games media and games development itself are a lot queerer than people think. Mm -hmm. There's a perception that I think is still perpetrated, and I think a lot of people want to believe that it's like it's not queer because we don't want the gays in our video games. Um, <laughs> but it's very queer. And like this is something that always was like awesome to me about games journalism is games journalism is very queer mm -hmm. and full of trans women. It's really great. And like I have so many people I follow and am mutuals with like on Twitter and talk to who are all trans journalists and the vibe shift that I've seen in the past like month, yeah. just especially around this game. And like, I've been thinking about this too, but like I've seen people talking about it where they're like in the context of how the industry has responded to and covered this game by and large um, outside of some great like outlets and specific people who are like doing the work to do good journalism around this by and large, everybody has like, kind of done all the bad stuff that we've talking been talking about and now all of us like trans journalists are sitting here like so there's just like no room for us yeah there's no care nobody cares there's no respect and what are we doing here like it, yeah i yeah. mean to address like the sort of inherent like contradiction that that might seem to be so like game development and game journalism are very queer but there is so little coverage uh of of sort of like queer issues in gaming and there is so little queer representation in games the the reason for that is that the people like actually in charge of of making like kind of the high level editorial decisions or decisions like in game dev generally are the are not the queer people in the scenario mm -hmm. uh, it's it's people at our level doing the work and so even though there is like an abundance of queer talent in the space we're generally not empowered to make a lot of like big decisions about those things which yeah i don't know just just kind of wanted to call that out because like it is like it is true that this this the people who work in these spaces are very queer which makes it strange that the output of both of these industries is like aggressively heteronormative 
<laughs> um, and it's it's because of that weird that weird dynamic, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I, I agree with you. It, it's a, it's a strange thing to see that like the despite how how represented we are in the industry, like our voices still aren't really being taken seriously or in many cases heard at all. And it's a difficult thing to to grapple with. You know, I don't really know what to make of it, except that like obviously we need more queer people in more high like powered positions. Uh that's been true f- for a long time. Uh and it's like we don't have the power to make those decisions to give ourselves the power. You know, it, it's this weird this weird loop that we're stuck in. But it's yeah, I don't know. It's 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 really it's really dispiriting, you know, to see that this could have been the one time. It would have been so easy. It would have been so fucking easy to like take a stand on what is very like an extremely clear-cut ethical issue and that just is not what happened yeah (laughs) kind of like to move the conversation on yeah (laughs) uh, a little bit i i think like back on the idea of the review itself is something interesting um because there is this idea of like how do you ethically review something or so there's this thing that people are always like it's that meme where it's like oh well i caught you critiquing society but you also exist within the society and this is like something people always say when uh, you know i've written about this this game and like literally my twitter <laughs> mentions are flooded with like dumbasses who are like mm, aren't you tweeting about this game on an iPhone, (laughs) Um, which are all terrible. Uh, And I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, The absolute most dumb as dog shit argument. (laughs) But um, I think there's something like to be discussed about this, like seriously, because it's like, I think, I think a lot of people are seeing this as like the first game that it feels like people are really discussing at this level where they're like, hey, maybe this game is like an ethical issue that we should really discuss and the consequences of supporting it. Um, when like it's no secret that like the industry at large has so many problems and like specific publishers or creators or whatever, like there's a long list of things that are problematic about the industry. So it does become a like, well, why this one? Um, why aren't you doing this to every game? Which I think is uh, interesting um, yeah. to think about. Uh, like, also of note, like obviously we've been focusing focusing on like the transness of mm-hmm. this all with this game. That isn't also the only problem with J.K. Rowling and <laughs> her writing and the world of Harry Potter. Um, like, she has a lot of like anti-Semitic and racist tones and like under and overtones in her work, and despite the like continual beating of the drum from like Warner brothers that, Oh, this game like didn't have so much involvement with JK Rowling, man, that world is very anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's so problematic. Uh, it's like a core plot of the game, which is, yeah, you have to put down a goblin rebellion. It's so shocking the goblins, to me that that's yeah, the direction the, they went. Yeah. You have to put down a goblin rebellion, which the goblins have always been like a very, very loosely veiled caricature of the Jewish people. Yeah. But yeah. So why, why don't we review all games like this? Oh God. It's, I mean, at one level, it's like a good question. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we should be holding a lot more games more accountable for this kind of shit. Another kind of top level answer is that some people have been doing that work for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of people who who take these things seriously and write about the ways that, like, you know, games that 
focus on real world wars against real world people might not be sending the best messages to people. That work is being done. But like to get to the heart of the question, it's there is uh, there's a difference between a game that had some people who were problematic on the dev team and a game where the central figure behind the creation of the series has said if you buy this game, you're literally monetarily supporting my transphobic hate campaign. You know, video games are made by a lot of people. And if you're going to like go down the list of every developer who's worked on every game you like, you're going to find some shitheads on there. Uh, and when like, you know, really egregious breaches are brought to light, I think it it is on us to to stand up and to point those things out and to not support those games. Uh, but this is just like the most high profile example of that. It's where the person who everyone is saying is a problem is saying, yes, I'm a problem. And if you support this game, you are basically, you know, is taking this as confirmation that you support her views. So I don't know. There's like, there's a lot of parts to that. It's like, yeah, there is a lot of things we should be doing differently, but this is also a very, uh, this case itself is an outlier, you know? Mm. I also think like, to your point, it's, there are people doing this work. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also think most of them are outside of the traditional outlet space, um, uh, for obvious reasons. Um, but I think like, it's something that I've jokingly said, but I also kind of mean where it's like my goal as a critic is kind of to be meaner. Um, <laughs> because like, to be frank, and I, I'm very like open about like talking about how I do journal or how I do criticism and stuff, but it's like, there is an understanding in this industry by a lot of people. And I think IGN pointed this out. So in so broad letters where it's like, there is a weighted system of mm -hmm. like reviewing a game and there's a kind of like give and take with the publishers and stuff about like what you shouldn't be too mean. And it's, it's because like the industry is so reliant on it. You have to have connections because to monetize your content, you have to release like when embargoes go up because you have to be in the consciousness, the cultural consciousness. And if you don't get the connections then you, and you don't get a game, then you're not going to have a review go up when people actually want to read about it. And then you're late and then it doesn't matter. So it's like, it's really hard. And I, I mentioned this before, but John Warren, the head of Fanbyte, wrote or did an incredible video about the idea of the defector of games. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he talks about in there is the reason that a defector for games wouldn't work is that by and large, there's not a market for the type of journalism that that, that would do because that journalism necessitates taking a real critical and like at times antagonistic role against the industry itself because like by and large the games media doesn't take the industry to task as much as it should mm -hmm. um as opposed to a few like few great pieces and great outliers um but it's just we we all should be doing better yeah <laughs> like we should be critiquing games like this all the time frankly yeah I forget where I saw this. It was like somebody tweeting at some trans critic who wrote about this game. Um, and they were like, well, if you just go through the list of like every good AAA or like every AAA game, then you're always going to find like a problematic person or something bad about like how this game was made. Like, you know, the, the publisher or whatever, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So like 
the only like the in your world the only way to like ethically consume a game is to like buy small indie projects directly from indie creators on like itch or something and yeah i saw this and it was like i understand that for the majority like the vast majority of of the games community be that media and just public that that seems like a massive loss but i'm like good yeah we should and i'm not even fucking around like that would be much better yeah no that's yeah 100 playing better games we would be doing better criticism everybody would be enjoying better art like uh, it's oh it's wild that we've just been shoved into this system now where it's like well we have to be in the triple a industry because that's well don't you want the most like generic open world (laughs) rpg it's just, yeah, it's another of like the absurdities of of game journalism and criticism where uh, we're expected to only cover kind of the biggest releases. Like it would be as if like film criticism were only focused on blockbusters, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like there are like other spaces that do this so much better. But I don't know, for whatever reason, in, in games like indies are really uh, kind of pushed to the side uh, even more so than they are in, in other, you know, other mediums. Uh, I think that also speaks to another problem that I've seen someone else bring up with the idea of, you know, the defector of games journalism, which is that so much of the audience is also antagonistic toward it. And, you know, in an audience funded model, uh, you can't have people who are going to get mad at you if you like say a mean thing about the game that they like. Uh, (laughs) It's just like it's I mean, it's it's so childish, but like but that's the kind of reaction that people often have. Like they don't engage with negative criticism as like one voice in a conversation people a lot of people seem to look at it as like a personal attack and that just makes you know relying on the audience a pretty uh, an unreliable prospect the idea of the indie thing it's very interesting to like Mm -hmm. relate it to like film specifically not to compare video games to cinema but (laughs) (laughs) we would never do that no but um like it's very interesting just like looking at the oscars for example like there's so much hate to the oscars often because a lot of people see it as like well it's just so inside baseball hollywood like they just they just like usually give awards out to a lot of um like weird small quote-unquote indie movies that people don't really watch like it's not the public it's not really an award show of public opinion you're not going to really see marvel movies there often you are going to see james cameron though uh <laughs> avatar 2 the way of water best picture nominee indie which, director uh, james cameron but it's like by and large you will see a lot of like weirder films that by and large the public doesn't actually watch it's for the industry and it's for the you know, film media also, um, and film critics specifically. And it's, it's a flawed reasoning, but awards shows are a great, great way to kind of like sort of take the temperature of an industry at large, um, to an extent, but like with the game awards, the game awards whole thing is that it's, it's very much public opinion in a lot of ways. I think like, despite the fact that like outlets vote on it, like you will only really see a lot of AAA and the most widely acknowledged like median best game like that's why you see like (laughs) that's why you see god of war ragnarok uh (laughs) sorry sony but you're not going to see these like weirder smaller games really break through that which we've talked about like yeah i've written about and like it's been an endless conversation but it's like the idea of prestige in games still is within that triple a system 
whereas the indie scene still gets re- relegated a lot, even though it has a lot of the more interesting work and stuff that like is so important, but you would never see get talked about anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so it's 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 just like the industry doesn't just it doesn't give us it doesn't have the space for anybody to focus on these things, even if we would all be better off if we could. Yeah. I mean, I think it's partially because like the games industry is so entwined with like technology. Like it is, uh, people are so impressed by graphic technical achievements, like graphics, right? I think Mm -hmm. uh, audiences and to like, to a large extent, critics are still very wowed by spectacle in a way that kind of, you know, film critics tend to be better at avoiding getting, getting suckered into that stuff. Uh, But I think because like gaming puts so much, so much focus on like the specs of things and like the kind of the technical performance of all things like it's that then takes like a much larger role than it should in our evaluations of games so like a thing can be technologically impressive but you know fail on kind of like a storytelling level and people will still put that like the technical aspects of it give them much more importance than they do the actual content of of the thing that they're that they're looking at which is like you know, another one of those like problems that it's like, what is this? It's hard to even imagine what a solution would be other than look for people who aren't writing that kind of thing, you know, look mm-hmm. for people who are doing the work that is not so, so impressed so easily. Uh, yeah, I think though, that's, um, that's some pretty exhaustive thoughts on that. Um, exhaustive and exhausting. Yeah. I guess, you know, just like don't, support the game please uh (laughs) support us please yeah i mean i'm sure we know like almost everybody who's listening to this and (laughs) you're all good in our books but (laughs) but yeah um i don't know think about supporting trans people in your life and just maybe donate to a trans charity or something um on that note uh robin what do you have for us that is a little better (laughs) Yeah, um, speaking of supporting trans people, some of the trans people you can support are game developers. We kind of, we weren't sure how long this conversation was going to go, so we weren't sure how long this segment is going to be. Looks like it's going to be a short one because we've been talking for a while. But we did want to not spend the whole time on this like absolutely tiring conversation we've been part of for the past like couple weeks uh, and to like shine a light on some trans games like games that are made by trans people that are about trans people that are like i don't know have have meaning for us as trans people you know things you could be paying more attention to uh instead of the stupid wizard game however the first one i am going to talk about uh is one that i i recommend people don't play before i was even out to myself i I played a game that I was really kind of blown away by and that is like it has a lot of kind of like trans elements to it. It was it was a game that I you know genuinely I I played and it gave me some feelings that I would like I didn't know what to do with and I kind of pushed down like to my my great regret now but a, a game that like as I played it I kind of recognized my own queerness and wasn't able to accept it. Again, this is this is a game I'm telling you not to play because uh, <laughs> I, I must have learned this like at some point and just forgotten about it. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm assuming, um, maybe not. But as I was like looking at it 
earlier today because I knew I was going to talk about it. I just kind of wanted to like give myself a refresher. Uh, I found out that the project lead on this game was outed as like an abuser. Like they uh, both of like an intimate partner and like abusive workers. Um, so this is this is a game. It's called Sub Serial Network. It's a game about like androids and you know the like finding exist finding your identity and like building your body and and all of these things about like like finding community and what it means to kind of dissect your own your own identity and and where those lines blur and to what extent your identity belongs to you and it was i mean it was a very formative game to me it's a game that is like has lived in my memory as this very special experience and then like literally hours ago i i read this thing that that as it turns out like one of the main people involved in the creation of this game is an absolute piece of shit and yeah i don't know i guess i'm kind of grappling with that in real time um it's it's ex- obviously extremely like relevant to what we're talking about today right um mm-hmm. like the the reviews of this fucking harry potter game for for a large part like are not reviews of the game at all they're reviews of the reviewers childhood love of the harry potter series and i think i don't know one of the things that has been so frustrating for me is people saying oh what you expect us to just stop liking this thing like this thing meant so much to me as a kid and now you want me to stop liking it just because it's clearly hurting people uh and the answer is like obviously yes like that's what we're asking of you uh no one ever said it was like easy and painless to be a good person it's sometimes you have to make choices to like you know subsume your own your own pleasure in order to not hurt people i don't know that's been very frustrating for me like people who like harry potter are not the first people in history who've ever been asked to you know disown a the creator of a work they loved uh, we were talking about this the other day. I used to love Orson Scott card books when I was a kid. Then mm. I found out he was a piece of shit and stopped reading them. I could name lots of other people whose work I enjoyed and who I found out they fucking sucked and I stopped enjoying it. And like, I don't know, man. You liked a book when you were a kid and that's that's no one's trying to take those memories from you. But like, I'm sitting here telling you now, like, I I kind of just learned that this game that like, played a role in me understanding that I'm trans was made by a fucking piece of shit and I will never play it again and I don't recommend other people play it and I want people to know that this person sucks <laughs> um and that is like not an easy thing to deal with but it's a thing you have to do if you want to be a decent person uh and I know this was supposed to be the lighthearted part of the podcast, <laughs> but like I'm really still feeling these things right now. Mm-hmm. Uh and I kind of needed to get them out. Yeah. So I also think just that's like my piece on that. <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to mention this, but I, I got caught up in stuff and I forgot. But th- like this point about, you know, people loving something and so like that's why it's hard to let go. Um, one of the things that I am always like so upset by is people telling me like, you can't just ask people to let something that was like a part of their childhood go. And my response to that is like, do you not think that I've had to do that? Do you not think that many trans people had to do that? Like I grew up reading Harry Potter and watching the Harry Potter movies and stuff, but like I learned to let them go. 
-hmm. It's, we do know what it's like. And yeah, it's, maybe it's not the easiest sometimes, um, although it kind of is, um, but, but like, <laughs> but it can, it can genuinely, it can feel hard. Like, but it can like feel hard been there and it, yeah. it does, it does feel hard, but it is like, there, there are many harder things out there. Like believe mm-hmm. us. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to, do you want to recommend a good game to play? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let, let me go into my actual recommendations now. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I do have another game that I played around the same time that did also give me uh, feelings that I would I would later come to understand were more important to me than I than I originally realized. Um, this is a game that I, I think I've mentioned to you before, and you were like absolutely perplexed by its name. It's called The Testimony of Trixie Glimmersmith. Yes, you did tell me about that. It's like a furry visual novel about like a bunny girl who. Uh, opens uh, the that king tracks. in yellow uh, <laughs> and like yeah it's this weird like cosmic horror starring like a trans girl who is like in college and is like new to transition uh, and I just I remember there being like a passage in it where she she talks she says something about like now that she's on hormones like her arms are getting weaker and she's so excited about that and I just remember oh my that God. like connecting some circuit in my brain that like again i like i was not ready to really internalize but i remember playing this game like years before i came out and being like oh i feel that in a real way and i'm not ready to confront what that means mm-hmm. um but it's it's like that's kind of the story of this game like there's uh it, it's very funny and it's very like it does also it again it like it deals with uh, a lot of like internalized transphobia and like there are some difficult parts to it but in general it is just like like, like a really fun and enjoyable game one that i definitely do want to play again and that i can recommend to people uh, in good conscience it's a it's just a fun game it's like also like i don't know maybe you'll play it and you'll find out you're trans which would be great (laughs) i hope that's the case for all of you um so that's a great game that I that I highly recommend. Another visual novel, uh, uh, Heaven Will Be Mine, which is oh, a great. Oh, I was actually going to recommend that too. Oh, great! Do you want to talk about it? No, you go ahead. I've I have some other games that I can talk about. Oh, as sure. Well. I don't have quite as much to say about that one. That's like it's a great game about mech pilots, which again, you know, I love. But it's just I don't know. It's fun and sexy and also scary and weird. <laughs> yeah, just a, a game that's told mostly through like essentially like text messages between these pilots who are like trying to kill each other and also flirting uh where like the mechs are very much a stand-in for uh sort of a constructed body and a constructed self and it's just another like really like excellent kind of like foundational trans game Hmm. a couple things that i wanted to shout out is first off there's the trans witches are witches bundle on Mm -hmm. itch right now um which is $60 and you get 69 games on itch. Nice. It's really great. It supports trans developers and a lot of the games are, you know, about being trans. They're very, very good. <laughs> um, one there that I like a lot, although this is a bit more, it's like a little bit of a darker tone, but it's Do I Pass by Taylor McHugh, <laughs> which is a really cool game. Uh, they make these like Game Boy style games that are about the trans experience. There's another one that they made last year called He Fucked the Girl Out of Me. It's really, really good. Trigger warnings for those games, though, like that they deal with a lot. Um, uh, just to add quickly, like yeah. if you have $60 to support that bundle, you totally should. 
But if mm-hmm. you don't, there is like an alternate version of it that's only $10. And I think it only has like a handful of games that are not mm-hmm. in that one. Um, so if you want to give something and don't have 60 bucks, uh, that's also mm-hmm. an option. Just a couple like other games and creators that I would definitely shout out is mm-hmm. um, Christine Love, uh, who's a game developer who made Get in the Car Loser mm-hmm. and Lady Killer in a Bind, which are both like really fun, queer stories uh one is like a kind of romance sim erotic visual novels what they say lady killer in a bind um they're really fun and they have like trans characters and other queer characters a a small game that i really like and that i want to shout out because this is i just think a very joyful fun experience is there's this game on itch by this person named milky lemon it's called the full name is Yuki's palpitating, passionate, phenomenal, and quite frankly, proficient quest for a hot girlfriend. (laughs) Never heard of this, but it sounds amazing. It's basically just this like girl who goes to an all girl school and her whole goal is to get a girlfriend. And she like has to go on dates with these three girls. Um, One of them is a trans girl and I just really like it. And it's a very, it's like a really short and just like hilarious, like romance novel, basically. Mm -hmm. It's very fun. Uh, I also do quickly want to shout out you since you mentioned uh, that trans witches are witches bundle. Um, There's also like in general, like as we mentioned, like game dev is a very queer space. Tabletop game design is like an incredibly queer space, which is one of the things I love about it. So uh, a game that I do want to point out is called Tower of Power. It's a tabletop game that's like explicitly about uh, literally you're like climbing a tower to find this artifact that will like grant you one wish so that you can remove all transphobia from the world. Um, (laughs) And it's like, again, like, you know, it deals with some pretty heavy stuff. Uh, It's like a solo journaling game, which in general can be pretty intense because it's asking you to really like embody like a specific character and like dig pretty deep into your own feelings so those can like in the best of circumstances be kind of tough uh and this one specifically deals with with feelings of transphobia so it might be uh, a difficult one but it's it's great um and i would definitely recommend it and i just like to generally put it out there like I highly recommend just going on itch and literally like there's a transgender tag you can search. It's a great way to find smaller creators who you would never have heard of otherwise. Like so many of those games are free or like extremely cheap. Like obviously we like recommend like supporting uh, developers who whose work you like, but you can go on there and like just sample a ton of different stuff. And like, I guarantee you, like no matter how much money you spend on it, you're going to have more time than if you'd spent more fun than if you'd spent the equivalent amount on AAA games. A good place to start is earlier this year, there was a last year, I guess, uh, the TTRPGs for trans rights, Texas bundle, um, which I, I reviewed the organi- uh, the organizer of who had some interesting things to say. That bundle's not available anymore, but you can still find the page that lists all of the games. Um, so that's another good way to just kind of like look and see what there is out there. That's, I, I don't know, I think that's kind of just like a meta recommendation of just like, just like do a little bit of searching for it. Like you'll, you'll, that's how I found the games that I just talked about. Like just put a little bit of footwork in and you will like, I don't know, find some things that you never knew existed and that will like, blow your mind and like you know give you a better better experience than if you only stick to the kind of like well-trodden triple a path oh um also go play if found by, go play if found <laughs> jesus yeah by dream feel it's like i feel like it's like the trans game yeah um it's it's really good um 
I don't even need to say much about it. Just go, go, <laughs> just go yeah. play if found. Like, trust yeah, us. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We would never steer you wrong. <laughs> um, but I mean, besides all of that. <laughs> Besides that whole emotional roller coaster we just went yeah. on, what have you been up to? Uh, yeah, so I've been playing. Uh, th- this week has uh, been, I think, tomorrow as of recording. So by the time you're hearing this, it will be over. Um, but there was the Steam Next Fest, which uh, puts out just like a bunch of game demos all at one time. You know, literally, there's like hundreds, probably thousands of them. You can just go and kind of like sample a bunch of unco- upcoming games, uh, and so. I've tried to sample like as many of them as I can, uh, which which means generally like playing like a couple of minutes and then bouncing if I'm not really feeling it so that I can like try as many as I have. And so I quickly just wanted to point out a few that I've really been enjoying. Mm-hmm. One of the standouts for me has been a game called Dungeon Drafters, which is sort of like a uh, like isometric dungeon crawl game mixed with uh, like a card game. So you can... Uh, you like draw a hand of cards and use those to do these kind of like tactical battles on like, you know, a grid. Um, but there's like a, multiple different characters to choose who all have different decks. Uh, and just like, there's lots of very clever mechanics there around like manipulating the environment and moving enemies and like, you know, deciding whether you favor mobility over raw attack power or whatever. Uh, also you can play as like a cute samurai who's also a mouse and that's fun. Um, <laughs> Another game I want to recommend, also a tactics game, is called Phantom Brigade. Uh, Also a mech game, surprisingly enough for me. Uh, But it's like, it's all about planning out your attacks on a timeline, which is very similar to like uh, the, like an editing timeline if you were to use, you know, Final Cut or something. Uh, And you kind of plan your attacks out there. So you're able to kind of really minutely adjust the exact time when you want to, to line up your shots to make them work the best. There's like... The, the mechs that you have are very diverse in there, like how they work. So there's lots of lots of cool strategies you can you can come up with there. Uh, so highly recommend that one as well. So those are quick recommendations for me this week. Um, I'm probably going to play some more tonight, and I, I might mention some, uh, you know, even more of those <laughs> this next week. Uh, but how about you, Willa? What have you been up to this week? Yeah, so um, Double Fine just like shadow dropped a 32-part documentary about the making of Psychonauts 2 on YouTube. It's called Psych Odyssey, and I am like a third of the way through. Um, I've just been watching it a lot. It's really, (laughs) really good. Um, I think it's really fascinating to see like pretty like honest portrayals of like what it's like to develop a game because this was made over like the entire development of Psychonauts 2 for seven years. It's really fascinating. I think we like don't get enough of a look into what development is like all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting to watch. They did this before when they um, when they made Broken Age. They did a similar thing where they made a documentary about it. And that is also exceptional. So people should go watch both um, if they haven't. But I've yeah. just been sitting down and like whenever I'm just like hanging out around the apartment, I'm, I'm watching the new episode. Like I'm just watching episodes of psych odyssey. It's a really fascinating watch. I I think double fine is a really interesting studio. Um, and seeing how they made this game is just a really fascinating look into, into game development. So I highly recommend people watch that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to watching it. Uh, Double Fine. Yeah, I, I agree. They're a really fascinating studio and they're like really an outlier in how, you know, obviously take it with a grain of salt because it's like a documentary they produced, but like they, they seem to be much more open about the development process than like the black box that most of game development is. Um, so it's interesting to, to see that stuff from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And with that, I think that ends uh, this fun-filled episode of of girl mode uh like i said last week thanks for bearing with us uh next week we promise we'll be fun we will do something silly to to kind of as a palate cleanser uh but until then you can you can find us where you find your podcasts uh you can also find us on social media on twitter at girl mode underscore pod and on co-host at girl mode dash pod and you can find me both those places at Robin Bombas. And I am on both of those places at the Willow Row. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah, I don't I never know how to say <laughs> Oh no. It's I never know how to say goodbye. Yeah. Uh, don't say goodbye. Say I'll see you again. <laughs> I'll, well, I'll see you again next week. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Uh, and fuck turfs. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, the exasperated sigh, I think, is the mascot of our podcast. I think it really is. (sighs) All right, where are we at? I mean, we've done like an hour. Like psychologically, I mean. (laughs) Oh, psychologically? (laughs) A little rough, a little rough. (sighs) I don't know if I expected to say half of what I said, but that's okay.